wander and roam. Hey, uh, Aldrin, can I pull you aside for a moment? Sure. Now, this may seem uh, like it's coming out of nowhere, but I've been wondering, uh, is there anything I need to know about you? Should I trust you any, any less than implicitly? Oh, well, that's a very difficult question there. I have, when I was younger, made my share of mistakes, and I feel as if I have I have learned from them, but part of me wonders if there aren't still mistakes left to make. Okay, now that sounds like a threat. Cloud Reach Mountains stretch high into the sky, dominating the scenery for miles around. Our friends clamber up the rocky path. Ahead of them, a small cottage is built into the side of the mountains. Goats scamper ahead of them, unimpaired by the rocks and steep cliffs. Beside the cottage is a small garden and a well-tended shrine covered in bright flowers. Welcome to the Cloud Reach Monastery. Somewhere in the mountains, a distant yodel echoes. I have not heard much yodeling in my time, but I would give that about a seven out of ten. That was a fair yodel. You know, I, I, I've heard a lot of different kind of yells and screams in my time, but that one was, was pretty nice. You know, I would have I would have pegged you for a yodeler, but now squeakers. Yeah, you definitely have that yodeling vibe. Well, now, that, that's mighty kind of you. Uh, never never had the gumption to try myself. Now, maybe not an alpine yodel, but like a down-home sort of uh, line-dancing yodel. Why don't you give it a shot? Why don't you try yodeling? Yeah, try. Do it right <clears> now. <throat> no peer pressure or anything. Just okay, okay. Nobody let's... here but us. Yeah, let me... Uh... And the goats. And nobody will hear you echoing in this alpine setting. And the vole looking out the window of that cottage. Oh, Hello, vole. Whoa. Please, yodel. Okay, uh, you know, uh, y- y- y'all are so supportive, I-, I suppose I can give it my best shot. Hamish shuts his eyes and says, I'm cool and placid like an untroubled lake. Why weigh less than a slice of bread? That was so good. You should keep doing that. Up on the cliffside, you hear a goat yell, Hey, you see that yodeling? I ain't never heard yodeling like that before. Don't ever want to hear it again. Well, I suppose that uh, all criticism is constructive. So uh, I suppose I'll be hanging up my yodeling spurs from now on. Yeah, I was wondering where you got those. Yeah, it was really weird. Raindrop gave them to me. I think everyone needs a pair of yodeling spurs. What a rude goat. Something's really got his goat. How dare you. (laughs) As the gang regains their composure and continues walking, they come up to a fence that's made out of large wooden poles with two beams going in between each pole, making it very easy for the crew to hop the fence, or in this case, walk under the fence. Or if you're an owl, to flutter over the fence. Hamish tries to gauge how big the gaps in the fence are, and he knows that his big old back half will not fit. He hangs his head. Raindrop 
sees all of the crew hopping the fence and walks over to the gate and opens it. Oh, thank you. I thought I was going to have to dig. Oh, no. As the group continues, they see a very modestly sized cottage and a sign hanging next to it says Cloud Reach Monastery. The vole in the window looks down upon our friends and says, Oh, hello there. Welcome to the Cloud Reach Monastery. Pleasure's all mine. What's your name? My name is Thomas. Now, are you the prior or the abbot here at this monastery? The abbot. Now, here's the question for you. I don't see that you got any long ears. Abbot, not rabbit. You're thinking of a hare. Yeah, that, that's right. That's Which what is, I was thinking. No, I have much hair on my head. Very luscious. And, and he also got some money from his father. He's a hare. Actually, I gave that up when I joined the monastery. Oh, God bless him, sir. What's that? What, God? I have <laughs> many of them within my pockets. <laughs> and he spreads his blazer open like a guy who's selling pocket watches. And there are five gods in his pockets. Now, I told you, bless this man. Would you like a blessing? Sure. From what god would you seek a blessing? Thomas looks down and says, Well, that depends. Out of the five gods, what are they gods of? I have Yacht, who is the god of a child's first snowfall. Not interested. Aya, the god of a misplaced kiss. No, thank you. Seneth, the god of a single sunbeam. Interesting. Dulcet, the god of tiny melodies. Mm, nah. And this one, I am not sure of his name, but we've taken to calling him Napoleon. He enjoys biting. A god of biting. Now, I did not say he was a god of biting. I simply said he enjoys biting. Well, if it walks like a duck, no offense. He doesn't walk like a duck. In fact, he kind of floats. She walks like a duck. I should hope so. <laughs> Once again, I beg pardon. The taste. And Thomas considers it for a moment and says, Hmm, I guess I'll try that blessing from the Sunray one. Oh, a blessing from Seneth. Well, if you'll allow us into the monastery, uh, you may speak to Seneth regarding the matter. And Thomas says, Hold on just a moment, and closes the window, and you all you hear is crashing and banging and the sound of a cat going, Row! And then the door slowly opens. The monastery is surprisingly full of life. Where the mountain range was very peaceful and quiet, journeying into the monastery, it's bustling with life. Lit by torches, there are people cleaning the floors, there are people carrying large stacks of books, and there are people carrying large trays of food. One of the torches on the wall goes out from the wind and we see a figure take shape in one of the remaining torches. A little pair of eyes pops open on the torch. It seems to be made of fire itself, leaps to the extinguished flame, and the torch relights again. Thomas welcomes the group and says, Welcome to Cloudreach Monastery. I, I hope that our humble abode is pleasant during your stay. I am sure it will be quite pleasant. In a corner, a small sparrow with 
round eyeglasses, holding a large open book. He steps forward, uh, and he says, uh, Now, now, newcomers must pay tribute and genuflect to the fire god. It's the rules. Thomas says, Oh, I, I'm so sorry about this, I, but it's true. The rule is that you must pay tribute. We are happy to pay tribute to any small gods, forgotten or known. What is the name of this fire god? I've been calling it Napoleon. That seems to be kind of a go-to name for gods, and in fact, many of the creatures we've come upon. Yeah, that's very, uh, that's very peculiar. Hey, Hamish, the sparrow is a creature after your own heart. Uh, no, that is the sparrow. How does the fire god Napoleon take tribute? Well, there are many ways that you can show your appreciation for our lovely fire god Napoleon. One of the most popular ways is by taking a, a small leaf or a blade of grass and giving it to one of the torches to help show its power. And you must genuflect. Pray tell, what is it to genuflect? Oh, you don't know genuflection, do you? I have genuflect much. Is that something you should be admitting in public? <laughs> Frequently and well. But I would like to know your meaning of the word genuflect. Oh, rabbit Thomas, why don't you please do a little genuflect? He's not a rabbit, he's a vole. A mole. He's a mole. Abbot. <laughs> Thomas reaches into his vestment and produces a large, long ribbon that's attached to a little stick, and he begins waving it in a little circle and making crackling noises like a fire. He knows better than this. Genuflecting is bowing. Genuflecting is bowing. <laughs> I just like to give him a little tease now and again. You're so serious. Well... Someone has to care about the rules. Why didn't you just say to bow? Because it's a very common word, genuflect, and I should be allowed to use it. <sighs> While all this bickering is going on, Raindrop scurries back outside, and in the front of the monastery, previously unnoticed, is a old and giant oak tree. She walks towards the tree and puts her hands on the bark and looks up and says excuse me tree may I please have a leaf the tree says nothing okay uh, she steps back waiting for an answer and a single leaf gently falls from the top of the tree and lands in her hands thank you tree she waddles back inside to show the others what she got Behind Raindrop, 94 bees follow, and as she closes the door, 94 bees bump right into her. Raindrop scurries back into the temple, and seeing that the bickering is still happening, goes up to one of the torches and throws the leaf in, watching it cackle and then burn with great satisfaction. I would argue that since not one of us here knew the meaning of the word genuflect, that it is not so common as you presume. No man alive. This would never have happened under the old priest. Perhaps it's just common within your monastery. Squeakers interjects and says, Oh my, would you look at that? Uh, it looks like raindrops paying tribute. Ooh. Would you please bow? 
Oh, bow. Yes. Yeah. And she starts bowing to the flame or to a person or to the ground. To the, to the flame. Oh, yes. Sorry. Thank you. And she will bow many a time. <laughs> My name is Gilroy, by the way. Oh, nobody asked, but thank you very much for telling us. Aldern will go out into the yard in front of the monastery. He bends down and picks up a small blade of grass and goes in and presents the blade of grass to the fire. And as it burns up, he bows deeply. Squeakers looks around. He doesn't want to go back outside. And so he looks on his person and he finds a little piece of his duster has come loose. And so he gently rips it off and walks over and tosses it into the flame and then bows shallowly but still noticeably Hamish walks by the fire and he sees that one of his bees has recently shed its winter skin and he drops the empty shell of a bee into the fire now I believe that that, uh, takes care of the offering that's offensive Thomas says we do not make puns within the halls of this monastery. We do not make puns. There are no puns within these halls. I beg your pardon, pun. How dare you? Please, Squeakers, this is just not the moment. I apologize for my outburst. But it was rather funny. <laughs> Hamish walks a bit down the hallway and he sees a piece of parchment framed and hanging on the wall. And he, he puts a claw, runs it, down the side of the frame and he says now what have we got here the parchment asks a very small question it's meant to have its readers reflect and it says are you willing to wait to get the answers you seek Gilroy's eyes light up and he says those are the miraculous teachings of the old priest tell us more about the old priest and his teachings the old priest knew everything He was wise as all get out. Was it because he was so old? Well, he is, it was largely because he was old, but it's not the (laughs) only reason. And did he take care to pass along his teachings to the younger priests? Well, there they are, there on the wall, hanging in that frame. Oh, is there an answer to this question? Well, that's the thing, it's miraculous. When you look at it, you see the question you need to see. Aldrin walks over to the piece of paper and reads it himself. Are you willing to wait to get the answer you seek? It's the same question. Well, it doesn't always change. Okay, let me let me go ahead and give it this a look-see. <clears throat> Are you willing to wait to get the answers you seek? Has this changed for anyone? Now, to be fair, for whatever reason, it dropped the G on willing. You see, the apostrophe is a miracle. Now, Squeakers uh, turns to, to Thomas and says, You know, this place seems to have a lot of rules. What gave you that impression? Well, your sparrow friend here, what was his name? Tim or something? Gilroy! Yeah, he's very much a stickler for these rules, and I can tell that the torch is pretty appreciative of the offerings, but... Quite frankly, this uh, genuflexin or whatever it's called, uh, it doesn't look like that really matters much. The rules are what keep this place running. Firstly, one must always pay tribute to the fire god. 
Check. There are no puns allowed within these halls. I guess check. Partial check. We only eat food grown in the garden outside. Interesting. It probably takes a lot of work to grow food in the garden, doesn't it? It does. And that means that every person here learns the value of hard work. Huh. You know, there might be a way to make life a little bit easier for you, though. Sometimes making life easier is not the right choice. Now, hear me out, though. I see you got a lot of fresh vegetables and some fruits and whatnot, but I see you're missing a very key ingredient to every healthy person's plate. Impossible. We have every ingredient growing here in our garden. We tend it immaculately. And Squeakers reaches into his pouch and he pulls out a piece of popcorn. That's just old corn. Oh no, this was prepared by mighty special hands. Y'all ever hear about the girl with thousand masks? No, this was popcorn that we got from there. It's very special. Y'all want to have a taste? No, take it from out of our halls. Please remove it from our halls. Well, all I can do is offer you a chance. And Squeakers puts it into his mouth. <gasps> Gilroy falls flat on his face. <gasps> no. Look what you've done. And he goes over and helps Gilroy up. I am obliged to thank you, Abbott. Squeakers, why did you eat that popped corn? I, I didn't realize that it would cause such a fuss. Let's get you something from the garden. Do you have carrots, perhaps, or perhaps some celery? We have both carrots and celery. I will show you. Come with me. We have carrots and we have celery. We have celery and we have carrots and carrots and celery. Everything is fine. Now don't wander off. Wander in Rome will be right back. people to know Danny. You're Danny. Who am I? Summer. I'm Summer. We are bisexually lit. This is a podcast about movies and life and everything in between. Two best friends who are loud and queer and love to talk about movies on and off mic and we'd like to take you along for the ride. Why did we name our podcast <laughs> Bisexually Lit? Well, like, you know, A, we're bisexual. Extremely. B, we're, we're getting lit. We're giving literary and thematic readings to the movies we love. You can check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We drop a new episode every other Monday, bi-weekly, if you will. Oh, I will. Have you ever seen something you couldn't explain? Have you ever felt like something was watching you, even when you were alone? Have your dreams ever started bleeding into the reality around you? Starting March 8th, join us bi-weekly as we travel around the contiguous United States sharing strange stories and discovering mysteries hidden within the vastness of America. Listen to Lower 48 on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They all walk out one of the doors and there's a lush garden 
and each row is immaculately tended. You can see that the carrots are with the carrots, the tomatoes are with the tomatoes, and the lettuce is with the lettuce. Gilroy visibly relaxes. Standing in the midst of the garden is a very old turtle. In his hand, he has a hoe, and he is working the field. Squeakers visibly stops himself from saying what everyone else is thinking. Aldern tenses and stares at Squeakers, but nods appreciatively. Brother Bedivere, I see you're hard at work. Good, good, good. Where are the carrots located in this garden? Here, where they always are? Thank you. Well, I appreciate you not making a joke about my hoe. <laughs> yes, the carrots are where they always are. Yes, we've moved past this bed of here. Thank you for the celery carrots. They're particularly nice today. Squeakers realizes that he has royally messed up and he didn't respect the rules of the monastery. And so he walks up to Gilroy and says, uh, sir, uh, if, if it ain't too much trouble, I mean, may I may I try one of your uh, carrots or celery or celery and carrots? Yes, here's one of each. There's your carrot, there's your celery, there's your celery carrot. And Squeakers takes a nice crisp bite out of one of them. And then another crisp bite out of the other one. Well, Brother Betabir, we thank you. You are quite welcome. Should you desire more food before you leave, please feel free to come again. Well, I'm sure we will wait until that time comes. As they walk back into the monastery, that the very well-tended shrine that was in the center begins to glow very softly at first, but then it begins to grow in intensity. All of the people around begin to gather in the center. Hamish steps toward the shrine, meeting back up with our friends, and he's carrying with him the framed parchment that he's taken off the wall. And you can see Gilroy starting to have a conniption as Hamish holds up the framed parchment to the shrine and sees a similarity. And he says, now, hello, what's uh, happening here? And the parchment begins to glow. All of the gods, Aya and Dulcet, Yacht, Zenith, and Napoleon, the nameless god, scurry out from Aldern's blazer and stare enraptured at the glowing monument. Hamish takes a deep breath and looks into the glowing parchment and it starts glowing a different color. Now that there is a hedgehog of a different color. I'm a groundhog. Groundhog. How dare you. Of a different color. Oh, I'm sorry. There are no puns within these holes. Squeakers walks over to Alder and, and puts his hand on his shoulder and says, Oh, it's okay. We all make mistakes. Thomas goes over to the party and says, Now you're going to see the most exciting part of our day here at the Cloud Reach Monastery. Because Napoleon is about to shower us with some fiery wisdom. Raindrop looks at the biting god. Aldern withdraws Napoleon, the nameless god, and says, No, no, not this Napoleon. And he gestures to the fire and says, That Napoleon. We may have to consider renaming Napoleon 
the nameless god. Fire streams from out of the torches all over the hallway and towards the shrine. Thomas says, Now do you know that Napoleon wasn't always a little god of fire? You see, there used to be a time when Napoleon was actually the north wind god. But there was a time when the winds needed to go more directions than just north. And so he split himself, creating this Napoleon that has been with us ever since. Out in the other monasteries, there is a Napoleon of water and a Napoleon of air. Does this Napoleon ever become particularly violent and aggressive towards the other temples? No. No. I don't understand. Hamish walks toward the shrine, hefting the framed parchment, and he reads it out loud, and he says, Now, friends, this one, it seems to have shifted. It no longer asks if I'm willing to wait. Instead, it asks me what I've learned from the North Wind. Well, Hamish, uh, what, what, what did you learn from the North Wind? Well, I believe what I've learned today from the North Wind is... Sometimes a part of yourself needs to be sequestered. And sometimes circumstances require parts of you to change. And sometimes you shouldn't make a pun even when it's staring you in the face like that hoe. That's right, you should not. Benavir comes in and says, I do appreciate you not making jokes about the hoe. He gets emotional when he talks about his hoe. As the flames begin to die down, there is a hush that falls over the crowd. As soon as they settle, you hear a gong. And that's the sign that dinner is served. Well, food time, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. And Gilroy takes little staccato steps down the hallway and uh, turns away and disappears into the kitchen. Aldern will follow after, eagerly awaiting some food. Squeaker's still mouthful of carrot begins to walk down the hallway, munching. <laughs> you know, um, I'm pretty excited about this here, uh, whatever, whatever it is we're eating for dinner, because I'm famished. Hey, Squeaker. Yeah? I lied. What did you lie about? This parchment doesn't say what did we learn from the North Wind. What does it say then? Well, I can't quite make it out anymore, but it says... Uh... What danger lies in your heart? Whoa. Would you you take a look at this? Yeah, yeah. Squeakers holds the parchment in front of him and reads it, and it, it says, What's the danger that lays in Hamish's heart? Well, what does it say? Uh, it, it asked me what my favorite color is. Here, why don't you take that back there? Well, what is your favorite color? I'm going to have to ponder that. What danger lies in my heart? Ooh. Raindrop has been feeding the low flame with leaves and twigs and grass from outside. And as the flame gets a little bit higher, she looks back and sees the hall is empty. And wondering where her friends went, she turns and waddles down the hallway. As she turns and waddles, the tiny god Napoleon, with the big old eyes, has a distended belly. He pats his tummy and burps. A pillar of smoke funnels up from his mouth, and he hops from torch to torch, 
closer to Raindrop. Off in the distance, you hear Gilroy's echoing voice say, Napoleon, you know the rules! And Napoleon spells out the words, Excuse me, with his smoke, and continues down the hallway. In the banquet hall, the table is filled with all sorts of confections and plates of food, nicely chopped and organized by color and by type. Thomas goes to the tip of the table and looks down where everybody's seated and says, Tonight's dish is soup. Ooh, soup. That's it, just soup. That's all you have to say to start our meal, soup. It is customary, my friends, to say a word of grace over the meals, and since our abbot has seen fit to say only soup, I I will say a brief prayer instead. Aldrin bows his head. Dear gods who are good, dear gods who are bad, make this food the best that we've ever had. Amen. Amen. I am glad to see, although they do not allow puns, they seem to encourage rhyming. Well, now, you see, basically the difference between a a pun and a rhyme... I know the differences between a pun and a rhyme. Okay, make a rhyme right then. Make a rhyme right now. Yes. Um, Do. Make a rhyme right now. I don't... No, how? <gasps> That's a lie. That's a lie. You must pay penance. How does one pay penance then? Gilroy picks up a stick and he smacks Aldrin o- over the shoulder. How old? There you go. You're forgiven. These are a very strange set of rules. I'm not really jiving with your customs, but I do respect that you have them. Do I need to pay penance for all my pun? My punning? Yes, Raindrop says, and she'll scoop out the celery bits from her soup and put them in his bowl and say, your penance is eating the celery. Your puns were indeed quite pungent. (laughs) You should be punished for your puns. Oh, if only the rules allowed for penance for puns or you'd be in for it. Squeakers eats the celery gladly. Hamish is just sort of pushing the bits in his soup around with his spoon and he looks over to where Raindrop is sitting and he says Raindrop Yes? I don't seem dangerous to you do I? Oh not at all. I think you have a big old heart in there. Well my my heart you say mm-hmm. Now big things they contain a lot don't they? They do contain a lot. So they may contain a lot of good things, as well as maybe something like a danger. I think as long as there are more good things than bad things, then the bad things don't matter. I will try to integrate that into my worldview. Six tiny bees fly out from Hamish's hat, and and they start bumping into people around the table. Hey, uh, Hamish, I think you need to tell your friends here to behave. How dare No, 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 that one, that one wasn't a pun. That one wasn't a pun. I think perhaps it's time for us to take our leave. Squeakers gets up and he, he says, I do believe that you are correct. Let's take our leave. 
and he grabs one more leaf and puts it into the torch for Napoleon. Abbot Thomas leans over to Squeakers and says, Thank you for saying what I could not. Squeakers tips his hat to him and begins walking towards the door. Raindrop will turn towards the rest assembled and give a quick bow and say, Thank you for the food. Homegrown food, it always tastes better. And she will follow Squeakers out the door. I hope that your tenants bring you the answers you are searching for, but they are not for me. Well, travelers, as you depart, uh, have you received the answers you waited for? No. Can't rightly say that I have. I am instead quite flummoxed and troubled. One might say that there are actually more questions than answers here. Yes, well, that is the final ultimate rule. And Gilroy opens up his book and points to a segment that's noted as Rule 576. All questions must be met with more questions. How very unsatisfying. The gang leaves, and as they're walking out, Squeakers turns to Hamish and says, Hey, I see what's in your little pocket there. Man, that's six bees. <laughs> no, 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 that's your other pocket. I'm talking about, uh, I see that there frame in there. And Hamish sheepishly shuffles to conceal the enormous four-foot picture frame that's in his pocket. And as our friends make their way up the dusty mountain road, they hear a yell in the distance. God's in heaven and below, where is it gone? Next week on Wander and Roam. Our friends descend down the Cloudreach Mountains and take to a road headed towards the coast. As night falls, they see a covered wagon on the road ahead, silhouetted by a large campfire. Laughter, the music of a guitar, and the scent of hot stew washes over them as they approach. Welcome to the Roadside Caravan. Music for Wander and Rome is written and performed by Gary Argyle. Wander and Rome is produced by Winterhawk Podcasts and Gary Argyle. For more great shows, visit winterhawkpodcasting.com.